I, I brought you those pieces of paper because um, I, one of the things that I was teaching in the last couple of weeks in, in, uh, up, in, up at the top of the hill and talking about when I was back east is that when I travel someplace to teach, uh, I, don't take, uh, I don't take books with me and uh, I don't take notes from former talks. And I mostly teach out of what's going on in my life at that time. But I take this piece of paper with me. This is my whole entire text of what isn't in my mind is on that piece of paper. What isn't in my mind by heart is on the piece of paper. So, um, and periodically, I, 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 if I teach anything anywhere, periodically I want to read the Metta Sutta to people. And periodically, I want to read one of those two poems. So it's sort of my whole uh, canon. And so periodically, I like to make it and give it out here. And also, because I'm going to be here the next three weeks, and because I've been thinking so much about the Metta Sutta in uh, recent weeks, and because before I left, we were talking about the... Uh, development of the paramis, the virtues, the good qualities of the heart. Uh, and uh, I wanted to have some uh, a smooth uh, transition to what we were going to do next, rather than retake that up exactly from that point of view, the, the virtues, because we were working on it. I was having a good time doing it. We'll get around to it again. I wanted to start with the uh, Metta Sutta because the first 13 lines of it, I think 10 or 11 or 13, are in the development of virtue and the development of ethics. And then the middle part of it, so it's sort of a smooth transition from there. And the middle part of it is on developing uh, awareness of habits of mind and being able to change the habits of mind when they're not valuable habits of mind or the habits of mind that lead to suffering. And the third part of it is really wisdom. What are we doing here and why are we doing it and how do we learn that? And I like thinking that it has the whole of the Dharma in that. So there's actually also a, a, a CD that uh, I have somewhere that's the entire compendium, the whole Pali Canon in English, all of the lists and the suttas, what's in the whole of the middle length discourses, so there is a compendium that's uh, you know, volumes and volumes, and even on that CD, I could look up all of this. Uh, and I, I love thinking, as much as I value it and I check it and I want to look back on it, that I love thinking that the Metta Sutta really touches on all of the aspects of practice, of daily practice, which seems to me the way that we live this life of the Dharma. We don't become Buddhists so much as we may identify by Buddhists as Buddhists if someone said how many people here are this, that, and the other. Do you know that the fastest growing religion in the United States I read yesterday was, is it Muslim, Islam? Yeah, by 73% between now and 2050. And Buddhism is supposed to decline by 0.3% between now and 2050. Now, so Buddhism is going to decline from now. That's a very interesting thought because... I don't feel oh bad about that, because what I what I really think is that wherever Buddhism has emerged as a as a new thing for people to consider, it has been uh, it has entered into that community that culture, been changed by that culture, and changed the culture. And I think it's often disappeared out of that culture after it's done what it's going to do. It's like some, some medicine that moves through and, uh, uh, and maybe cures certain aspects of the corpus that it moved into, and then maybe in some ways is even refined by what it went through. And Buddhism has become considerably changed, I think, in, in our era, certainly since I met it in, in the 1970s. By becoming, you tell me, what's the most prominent thing that it's become? Two prominent things. What's, hmm? Mindfulness. Mind, it has certainly, 
mindfulness is everywhere. Mindfulness has become uh, a household word. And they take a course in mindfulness of everything. And uh, there was for a while a little bit of a lament generally around about, uh oh, Buddhism is going to disappear and everybody's just going to be doing secular mindfulness. And there was a lot of hand wringing about that for a while. But I thought to myself then and now, how can it hurt a culture to become more mindful? You know, suppose it became mindful and nobody ever thought about the Buddha. But suppose people became mindful about the causes of suffering and stopped carrying views that they've that have become fixed and stop feeling that revenge is good for you. Uh, revenge is sweet, I mean, as, as a line from somewhere. Revenge is not sweet. Revenge is awful. And it inflames the mind of the people that it lives in, and it destroys cultures and, com- and countries. And so it would be a very good thing if mindfulness moved through, and if somebody gave... Uh, credit to the, by the way, it was the Buddha who thought this, that'd be great, but the Buddha would not have wanted that particularly, or needed that. Um, actually, there wasn't a Buddhism before the Buddha. The, the Buddha was a, 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 a teaching ascetic, a wandering teacher for the 80 years of his life, and it happened that what he taught and the 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 uh, core of what he taught then spread through India and uh, Tibet and uh, China and, and Mongolia and uh, uh, Sri Lanka and Korea and Japan. And finally, uh, in the last hundred years, sort of leaped over the ocean this way and leaped over the uh, the mountains dividing Asia and uh, Europe, and has really become quite a, a, a player. Mindfulness, and even as it comes out from the, even as it comes without the rest of Buddhism. I want to get around to talking about that a little bit because uh, I think that you can't teach mindfulness really without teaching ethics. It was one of the, um, it was one of, This is not the order I meant to talk about this, but it's the order I thought of it, so here you go. Uh, 25 years ago, I've been thinking about that a lot because back in New York I meet some of the people with whom I began 25 years ago to be teaching mindfulness in Jewish communities. And there have been some very uh, uh, long-ranging and effective programs within Judaism to train rabbis in what in the Dharma that the Buddha taught, which is really the Dharma of reasonableness and of liberation of spirit, and uh, I will tell you more about that later on. But uh, without without the uh, without the stories about the Buddha, but not without ethics, because ethics is central to everything. If you talk about somebody used to bring up, this is what I meant to say now, out of order. Somebody would say about mindfulness when I'd say about mindfulness is paying attention with all of your faculties of attentiveness, hearing, seeing, thinking, sensing, every moment. They would say, well, how about the people who uh, uh, become professional gamblers and remember all the cards and can read people's faces who then use it as a means of making a living and they go to gambling casinos. And people are unknown to the other people. They're not amateur gambler players. They're really... And they earn large amounts of money from being mindful. That's actually not mindful. That's being very attentive. That's being very attentive. Because the mindfulness is uh, they, they, say, they do the same thing and they say, what if you're a second story, ga- what's, that, what's it called? A second story thief, some people who creep up and go into buildings and steal things of value, they walk very quietly and they open a safe because they very sensitively can feel. That's the same, they say, that's very mindful. And again, it's attentive. They're mindful, both of those people, uh, hypothetical people, would find that they'd know what's going on outside, and if they're paying attention to what's going on inside, they'd notice that they're extremely tense, 
Those are not relaxed activities, gambling large sums of money. And it's not a relaxed activity to be crawling around in somebody's house looking for works of art or something else to be stealing from them. If you really were paying attention to what is going to make my mind at ease and my heart at ease, which is what mindfulness is about, it's always towards the end of. I, I, if I were giving a full definition of mindfulness, I'd be attentive every moment to what's happening externally and what's happening internally in order to be able to respond in a way that does not create suffering for oneself or anybody else. But I think that there's always that room. It's called, uh, in the text, it's called clear, comp- clear comprehension of purpose. What should I do now? And sometimes people say, well, it doesn't sound like anything is doing. You're just sitting there, just sitting there, not doing anything. Well, I don't think I'm not doing anything when I'm sitting there. I think, among other things, if I'm just sitting there, or if I'm sitting there and being attentive to what startles the mind and saying, relax, sweetheart, you'll be all right, this is fine. I am actually, uh, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Habituating my mind to serenity. Habituating my mind to peacefulness. Teaching my neurons to be relaxed. Because all the time, what, we ha- what happens is we get, to, we get startled. Somebody happens. When you, when you listen to everybody who shares on any week, sharing what's happening to their father or their mother or their husband or their partner or their child, it's startling to hear what happens. Sometimes you hear things, say, whoa, I didn't know a person could have that and then have that. Whoa. It's a little startle in the mind. And the startle is in me, and I think in you, accompanied spontaneously with a well-wish for that person. I don't know often who is saying what they're saying. Sometimes I do, because I recognize a voice, but not always. But someone says that something difficult is going on for somebody that's dear to them, who is now attempting to deal with that in some way. Don't you feel spontaneously in your mind, simultaneously, oh, and may they be well, or something like that, if you don't exactly think those words. It touches your heart, doesn't it? And it touches your heart, in, in my way of understanding it, because you've been sitting for a half hour, and your mind heart is a little bit relaxed. It's habituated to staying relaxed. And when it's relaxed, it hears that, and it hears it uh, with wisdom intact. That's so important for people think, oh, you become so equanimous that nothing bothers you. I don't think that's true. Or nothing moves you. I don't think that's true. You become indifferent. These things happen. I don't think you become indifferent. I think what's there is equanimity and balance, really um, supported by wisdom. These things, even if it's something that I never heard of beforehand, these things apparently happen. Yet another, yet another thing that happens. Sometimes I was explaining that we do that at the end of class. I don't know. Maybe when I was teaching new teachers or talking to somebody, I said we always do that. And I said I'm always surprised by the huge scope of the the variety of things that human beings, uh, their their body and their minds are heir to. Who imagined that so many different things can happen that are difficult for people? And what happens is that uh, equanimity, balanced by wisdom, all these things happen, and uh, people respond to them. The equanimity that's supported by wisdom makes your mind not get so frightened that it closes off to them, or your heart so frightened that it closes off. Your heart stays right there. And what happens is I think that compassion is the response of the heart when it hears about the, the presence of some difficulty, some suffering. I actually think uh, today is not the day that we're exactly talking about it, but I, I think that sometime uh, when we talk again about... Uh, goodwill, metta, and compassion, and empathic joy, and equanimity. 
I want to really say I think they're all equanimity. They all depend on equanimity, and they really are all different forms of compassion. That uh, when you see a person coming along and you don't know them at all, sitting in an airplane that's full of people, you don't know them. You don't know whether where they're going is a joyous thing or a not joyous thing. But if your mind is pretty relaxed, what you realize is everybody's got a story and they're going someplace. And their lives are complicated because mine is complicated. And to be able to really hold in mind everybody is like me and wish them well because everybody's life is complex. You don't have to say, tell me your story and if it's sad, I'll then feel compassion. Just feel compassion for being a human being. It's a hard thing to be. A human being. It's a hard thing to get up in the morning and listen to the news or read the newspaper or check on your family and see if they're all well. Uh, I think we do all a monumental job to keep going, just we entertain ourselves. But uh, And in the midst of uh, all these things, the Buddha who taught them. <laughs> The Buddha who taught the expression, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 woes, also taught that life is essentially getting used to loss. Now, the first noble truth is we're all accommodating to loss all the time. Uh, big losses and little losses, but, but really uh, I like to put in that other thing that he said, that life experience is 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes. It's not all sadnesses and it's not all suffering. We make birthday parties and we fall in love and we go to school and we study something new and we travel somewhere. I'm about to tell you that I went to New York for eight days. In eight days, I saw seven plays. That's a little bit overamped, but you know. In the same breath, I'm going to talk about that line in the beginning of the Metta Sutta that says, unburdened by duties and frugal in their ways. I was unburdened by duties, but I wasn't frugal in my way. Uh, yeah, I went, <laughs> but I'm going to try to cover up for that effectively and make some reason for it. And seriously, I thought about the fact while I was gone that if I were a monk in this tradition, I would have taken a, a vow not to go to plays and... Uh, shows and recreations, that it's a, it's a distraction, actually, from really looking at what's true in the mind. So I want to say, hmm? Not always. Yeah, because they don't do it. Well, all right, so we'll skip over what I'm going to talk about next and come up to it. Let me just finish with a sentence that I was on, if I can remember what it was. What was I talking about? If I know that, uh, where was I going exactly? What is I saying? About distractions. Okay, now I want to go back to. I think I was trying to make the point that the practice, the practice that we are, the practice that we are doing is not Buddhism. We are doing. It comes the the particular words and stories we tell. It is the lifelong practice of trying to remain connected and engaged and warm-hearted in a life that's inevitably challenging and full of 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes. We're trying to be happy. I actually think all religious traditions began and carried on with the hope that people, that to say to people, we do lose people, we lose things, we lose ourselves, we lose our health, we lose our lives ultimately. But it's okay that, that we can really find a way to live in the midst of what Zorba called full catastrophe living and really want to have it. In all of the stories that we, often, I have the sense in the stories, the, the, the situations that we recount of people dealing with difficulties, is that everybody wants to get better. Nobody says, this is so banal. Do you remember the Woody Allen, uh, Annie Hall? Do you remember the very beginning? Yes, no, you don't remember? Everybody remember? No, okay, somebody doesn't remember. In the beginning of Annie Hall, that's, you have to be old to remember, that's it. In the beginning of Annie Hall, there's a voiceover, and the voiceover is Woody Allen talking, and he's saying, 
think about the two old women sitting on the porch of a hotel in the Catskill Mountains, rocking on rocking chairs. And one of them is saying, the food in this hotel is so terrible. And the other one said, you're right. And such small portions. <laughs> that, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. That's the thing. It, go, go back and see it on Netflix. I promise it's true. <laughs> and that's the best thing in it. You know, but, but that's the thing is, we don't. This life is grievous and difficult and full of losses and disappointments. But we want more of it. We want to keep trying to have some more, you know, because it might get good. And it, and it has been. It might get good and it has been good, mostly. It has, if it has been good, then we want more of it. Or if we think it can have good, then we want more of it. And how to have more of it and how to be okay when we not only hear about other people's stuff, but when we hear about our own, our own stuff. I, I wanted to tell you, I, I guess I haven't told you this because I just saw her. My old friend with whom I went several times to uh, performances of Wagner operas in various places, who is now 98 years old, had tickets to go in May to Austria to see um, uh, for a week of opera and had the intention to go to uh, Sweden and to Stockholm in the summer of 2016 because they'll do the ring there in 2016 because that will be her 100th birthday. Oh. And, she, and she was very looking forward to going since I met her five or six years ago. And I was planning to go with her along with many of her other friends. And she really took ill two months ago and was in the hospital and then in a nursing home and in a rehab. And now she's home with 24-hour care and not likely to go out again in this lifetime. And um, and she uh, wrote, we talked on the phone, and she said, well, you know, I'd love it if you came to see me. I needed to give up my Austria tickets. And I said, yeah, I know. And I came to see her, and uh, she, we t- talked minimal about, we talked about what's going on and about her caretaker and how wonderful uh, her caretakers were. And uh, she said, well, I, you know, I guess I'm not going out anymore, but come with me. I want to show you in my bedroom. So to get back to her bedroom, you pass stacks of opera books and old CDs and the memorabilia of 50 years, at least, of intense opera going, probably more. So I want to show you in my bedroom. I've uh, had my, my helpers fix uh, bird feeders in this window and that window and that window. And look at that. I've got an Oriole over there, and over there are the hummingbirds. And have you seen the bulbs, which have already come in? And I thought to myself, you know, I could sit with her, and it was, this would be a Dharma lesson all the time. And I thought to tell it to you, because that's the Dharma lesson. You can't go anymore. You did that. That was that. This is now. And I'd like to show you my bird feeders that I've put up in the backyard. May it come to pass that I trade in my, my mobility for bird feeders anywhere near as easily as she has. And take home with you some of these brownies that my caretaker made. They're terrific. <laughs> you know, that's what I really want to do. How to be now here now, which is what we're practicing. Oh, good. Now I got us up to where I at least thought I'd start. And I'm going to go over to the Metta Sutta. No, 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 it's okay. We're going to be here for three weeks. I don't have to be here for three weeks, so I can just take my time. Um, So I was explaining when I was in New York about uh, travel. I don't remember how it came up, but I said that I used just this one paper, and really particularly just the Metta Sutta. And I said, one of the things I really like to do I said, I think, I've been thinking of writing a book about it. I said, I have on and off thought about it, but I haven't done it. Maybe I'll do it, but I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I think I want to talk more than write a book. Uh, because I said, I, I, I say when I teach from it that I think, I remember actually that on first reading, I thought this is, this is I didn't have a good impression of it. It's lovely to read. It's a nice poem. But I thought to myself, this says, love everyone without any conditions. It's, uh, here it's called um, the Buddha's word on, words on loving kindness. 
In other places, it's called uh, the Buddha's um, teaching on, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, uh, impartial kindness. Impartial kindness, which is better. I like that better. Don't you like that? Impartial kindness. Well, this is the one that I had to to, to copy. But the, the Buddha's teaching on impartial kindness, and I said that I often started the teachings by saying, "What are the most important? What is the most important phrase in this whole thing? Don't shout it out. Do you know it? Who thinks they know it?" All right, ready, set, go. We're reading out loud, all of us. And you're deciding what's the most important one. Ready? This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be. Whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So... Who thinks they figured out what's the... Well, we're gonna, we'll, let's get 10 suggestions for what might be the most important line. What's yours? May all beings be at ease. May all beings be at ease. Roberta, what did you think? The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you very much. The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. What do you think? Today, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. I think so, too. I, all of them, I think so, yeah. Free from hatred and ill will. Free from hatred and ill will. Mo, what did you think? <laughs> Wishing in gladness and in safety. Wishing in gladness and in safety. There you go. Behind Mo. Margie, yeah. Thank you, Margie. By not holding to fixed views. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart shall one cherish all living beings. Just as a mother, we give her life. Was that what you were going to say as well? I was going to say cherish all living beings. Cherish all living beings. Anybody got another idea? Go ahead. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Peaceful and wise and... Radiating kindness over the entire world. Straightforward and gentle in speech. Straightforward and gentle in speech. Freed from hatred and ill will. Freed from hatred and ill will. 
Contented and easily satisfied. Contented and easily satisfied. So I want to make a suggestion. <laughs> that, first of all, I have, I, I have a, my thesis is that any one of them would work. Yes. Absolutely any one of them would work. And uh, Brahmani said, uh, when she said hers, what, what, uh, not doing the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, she prefaced it by saying, my choice today is. Yeah. And actually, I know that Brahmani and I has been in places where I've taught this many times before. So she, so, uh, and, and I, I actually find each time that every one of them seems newly interesting to me. That the thought that I had today was the phrase omitting none. I think that's really radical. But any of the other ones are perfectly wonderful. You know, because omitting one doesn't say very much. If I said to somebody, by the way, the most important phrase in the world is omitting one, say, I'm omitting one what? You know, <laughs> Maybe, just as a mother would give her life to support her one and only child, maybe the pure-hearted one have clarity of vision, is not born again into suffering. If we had clarity of vision, we'd realize that everybody else is just like us and wants to live. And we'd realize also that a mind that is freed from hatred and ill will is a mind that's free and is able to wish impartial goodwill to everybody. And, and it's the wishing of impartial goodwill that uh, brings gladness into the heart, filled with uh, wishing in gladness and in safety. We wish well to everyone. We have no enemies. Therefore, we feel safe. Therefore, gladness goes with it. Every one of these phrases could make a whole story of what did the Buddha teach, and not even past that what did the Buddha teach, which is already parochial. What's the truth? What's the truth of... If we studied the mind, as, as Joseph said, if we all became students of the mind, what would be true? If we did this, we'd be happy. That'd be true. And we could dress it up in clothing that, uh, that came from different religious traditions at different times. But my, my, my thesis is that an enduring religious tradition, wherever it came from and whatever words people say, needs to have in the core of it the hope for a, a peaceful heart and some insights into how to get it. And this seems to be it. So I've long had, so bravo for everybody because everybody was exactly right. Uh, mine was the least valuable actually, matter of fact, now that I think about it. Because everybody else, it's a whole sentence. You could say this is a teaching. Therefore, I won't put it as a whole page here. I will put it in the what somebody else said it, whatever, may all beings be at ease, omitting none. Or I'll sort of fit that in there. Because may all beings be at ease would already be the whole teaching. And what I'd like to do over the next X amount of meetings that we have together is I'd like to start with the beginning one. I've actually done it in my, in my book. I've put one phrase on the top of each page. And I thought we could really think about, what do we think about each of those phrases? Cause they, and how can we really look into it? So I gave you this so that you could have a piece of text for homework. What were you going to say, Roberta? I, I just wanted to say that when I did say that those last three lines, I left out the most important one. The one before is what I meant to say. By not holding... <laughs> to fix fixed views. You know, that's a, I'm so glad that you said that because that's what I want to do from a few, for however long it takes us now. I don't know if I'm ever going to write a book about it, but I want to write a thing about it. And there are people out there who are now starting to send little stories. You know, I said a while ago about send me a story. It's happening. Maybe the people who are listening to this tape, because a lot of people are writing to me, say, I listen to you all over, because it's on Dharma Seed by tomorrow morning. Maybe they'll send in specifically a story about one or another line. That would be a cool thing. Wherever you are, sylviaborstein at gmail.com. 
it's not that hard to find, figure it out, you know. It's, <laughs> um, I wanted to tell a story that I, I, it's uh, part of the New York story. So thank you, Roberta, because the business of not holding to fixed views and studying the mind. This was an experience that I had. It was very interesting. I was thinking about the, the mind has views. Uh, so I did go to uh, seven plays in seven days, two of them on Wednesday when we went to a mat. I went with my daughter, and who likes theater very much. We both like theater very much. And we absolutely said we're going to New York to do theater, and that's what we did, except for the two seders that we did uh, with, on, on Passover. And then we went to the theater in the afternoon. So, <laughs> so we saw quite a lot of theater, and they, we picked out all our tickets before we went. And I was very excited about all of them, the things I wanted to do. And the first thing we saw was Helen Mirren in the audience, and everybody ooing. It was fabulous. Helen Mirren cannot do anything wrong, in my view. She just is a really great actress. And uh, it's called The Audience because an audience is what the Queen has every Tuesday night for a half hour with her Prime Minister. And uh, Elizabeth has been Queen almost as long as Victoria now. I think less than a year she'll be as long as Victoria was Queen. And she's had 12. This is her 12th prime minister in that amount of time. And so there were 12 men uh, in the play who were all varying prime ministers. And mostly without leaving the stage, it goes from vignette to vignette, and they're not in order. So it starts with uh, uh, Elizabeth seeing the queen. Excuse me, that's not polite. Queen Elizabeth seeing some recent prime minister, but not as old as she is now. A couple of back, I can't remember who exactly it was. Uh, anyway, and then uh, by turning towards the back while you're, uh, while something is happening in the front of the stage, so you're playing, you're looking here and she's looking for something in a desk in the back, she uh, unzips the dress she's wearing and emerges, turns around and takes off her wig and turns around as the 20-year-old queen that she was when she was uh, crown queen. And she goes back and forth and through costume changes that are amazing and posture that's amazing and embodies a young woman queen and an old woman queen, amazingly. I loved it. I thought it was great. I would have gone back and seen it again had, it, had we not had all our slots already occupied with other... <laughs> And I wouldn't have been able to get a ticket either because it was absolutely sold out. And uh, it was in preview at that time, which means that it's a regular play, but the word had gotten out. Then a few days ago, I read in uh, the review in The New Yorker, because now it's opened officially, that it said it was a little overacted, you know, and that uh, Helen Mirren actually was a little bit... Um, uh, overacting the queen and that the prime ministers, you couldn't really tell their backstory very much. It wasn't very well written and a number of things. It didn't say it was awful, but it wasn't over the top great. And I had thought it was over the top great. And then, but then I started to think, well, maybe they're right. You know, she was a little bit, you know. And then I thought to myself, my, the thought that I've had for a long time about, I don't know what good it is to have critics tell you what. To, we went to Beautiful the last night, the Carol King story. I have friends who have seen it three times and are getting tickets for a fourth. Everybody was all hyped. They said it was great. And I don't know, maybe it was because it was a long week. I was having trouble staying awake. I thought it was underacted. I didn't find it so exciting. But I felt like wrong because my friends are going back for the fourth time. How could I not think it's fabulous? So I thought to myself, it's so interesting. And then my, my mind starts to change. Well, it's re actually really fabulous. It's I who should have taken a nap this afternoon and then I'd really be getting it and then it would really be good. So the whole business of having an opinion. So I like the not, not uh, holding to fixed views. But I also like also 
the, I, I really do like the, uh, uh, the tedious practice of judging and comparing fatigues the mind and, uh, and this, uh, you know, leads to nothing good. That, uh, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to tell people? Or do we have to tell people? Or does it serve? Or is it really so capricious, our minds, or so porous, our opinions, that so here comes along somebody who's presumably knowledgeable and says, like that so much. It wasn't exactly great. I thought, uh-oh. You know, that uh, many, many years ago, what was, hey, how could I not remember the name of the great soprano whose husband was the conductor? Joan Sutherland. Joan Sutherland, Sutherland of course. Joan Sutherland uh, sang uh, The Merry Widow here in uh, San Francisco. <coughs> And it was beautiful, and it's a funny opera, and it ends good, and it was a lot of fun to watch, and uh, and the reviews <laughs> of it from Pauline Kael were that she was past her prime, and she didn't hit all the high notes exactly right, and the and the orchestra wasn't exactly coming in on time, and the da 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 da, and the da 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 da, and this and that other a whole long column about what was the matter with it. And then the last paragraph was one sentence, and it says, the audience loved it. <laughs> yeah? That was a very interesting thing to read. Doesn't that count? You know, doesn't that count in terms of entertainment? The audience loved it, and the audience was entertained. And Pauline Kael is writing an article about the level of sophistication of the audience. Why do we read that kind of thing? <laughs> That's a bad view on us, if you liked it. Anyway, the, on the other hand, on the other hand, the other part of fixed views is, uh, I agree, Roberta, it's a really, really important line about the ability to say, I didn't see that before, but now I see it, particularly in terms of when someone gives us criticism for something. The ability to listen to criticism and find it constructive rather than get mad about it which is something that we have to do all the time. Mm -hmm. Especially, I find, from um, adult children. <laughs> is that not true? Yes. <laughs> all those people who agree. <laughs> it's a tremendous practice, let me tell you, to say, I wouldn't have thought that. Okay. Rather than that never happened, you're remembering it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very good. That's very good. That's very good. I like that very much. I actually don't, when people are carrying on, and, uh, and I didn't have that great experience, like one of, one of my friends in the League of, the, of Beautiful was fantastic. They say, you saw beautiful? I say, yeah, I did, the last night. They say, oh, da, da. And then they go on and expect that you liked it. And I did say, I did see it, the last night. Okay. And then they go on. But, um, I didn't love it. The, huh? I didn't love it. You didn't love it? Uh -uh. I mean, it, was, it was okay, it was good. But it was okay, but... I didn't love it. So what I want to talk about for one minute now, why did I have this here? This was here for some important reason. Oh, it is here for some important reason. But I'll bring it back next week for the same important reason. Uh, because I really want to look with you about the very first sentence. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Because we could take about uh, every, every word of that sentence. You know that I... Um, uh, that as a person, it'll be all right here. It's, it becomes a prescriptive practice. And I've, I've told those of you who know me from before here that I have taken on personally the practice of not saying, oh, uh, I should have done X and Y and Z. 
I should have actually gone to see uh, whatever it was, uh, Bill Nye in Skylight, which everybody is falling down about, rather than the Carol King. But anyway, but I, uh, but instead of I should have, I've been saying I catch myself and I say I wish I had, because I should have means I made a mistake. I wish I had means. You know, that happened, and I wish I had. I wish I had known that Vimala Ramsey was coming to Marin because maybe I could have gotten to see him too, but maybe I couldn't have. Who knows? Maybe I'd be doing something else. But should is definitely prescriptive. And uh, somebody on this last retreat said to me, I object to the fact that this is so prescriptive. That, But I'm, gonna, I'm about to say I think it's prescriptive. Uh, Maybe it's meant to be, you know. The person said to me, how could, how could it say this is what should be done? Uh, for, and I could make a great story, a case about that. Well, what does he mean exactly? What did the Buddha mean? Or maybe this isn't exactly translated from the Pali. I like to think that it means this. Everything that I'm about to say in this sermon is what actually should be done if you want a certain kind of result. If you want the water to boil, you need to put it on the stove and turn it on. There are certain things that are prescriptive. <laughs> if you want the egg to be hard-boiled, you have to put it in a pot and leave it there for a considerable amount of time, not one minute. It won't be hard-boiled in a minute. There are some prescriptive things. It really is a prescriptive uh, and I was thinking about that the first line of the, of the um, sermon on the foundations of mindfulness, which is the other um, really instruction sermon of the Buddha in the Pali Canon. For the most part, the Pali Canon is enormous, and the Buddha met people, and he told stories that made the point about you could have peace of mind and even joy and happiness in life. Lots of joy if you train your mind to be at ease in all kinds of situations with the 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes. And mostly he told people that and they just got it. And other people didn't seem to get it. They, or they got it in their mind, but they couldn't change their nervous system to really meet the situations of their life with that kind of poise. So that... I, I think that the uh, instructional uh, uh, teachings, the, the mindfulness, the loving-kindness teaching, and the four foundations of mindfulness teaching are uh, the two teaching sermons. And in both of them, this one he says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. And the other one says, this is the sole way, O monks, for the ending of... Uh, grief and lamentation for the ending of suffering. And so people, well, I do change it when I read it to groups of people. As I read it as, this is uh, the sole way, oh friends. Jack did that way before me and I copied it from him. But we're not monks. Um, this is the sole way, oh friends. I also try to change the gender when I can do that from he. But it does say this, for the, this is what should be done, and it does say this is the sole way for the ending of grief and suffering. I think it's fine, I, I, but I'm open to other. So we can go right to the second one if you, but I, I wanted to introduce that and let you think about that. Uh, yeah, Marty, what? I, I wonder whether, you know, I've, I've heard this idea that when you really are skilled in goodness, and know the path of peace, the Dharma will protect you and actually prevent you from causing harm. Now, I've heard that idea, and I'm wondering whether it could be this is what will be done, you know, if you're skilled in goodness oh. and know the path of peace. It, then it's not a should, it's this is what will this happen. Is what, this is what will happen. Put the egg on the, on the <laughs> stove and boil it for 10 minutes. <laughs> I like that very much. This is what Let's will happen. It. Let's change it. <laughs> Have you ever seen a translation? And there's so many different translations. There's so many different translations. We're now making a translation. 
Yeah. Do you think it also uh, implies, at least, the universal acceptance of the precepts? I I do think that uh, in the um, beca- in in uh, in the line that Brahmani said, not doing the slightest thing that the wise would later <laughs> reprove, that sentence that comes like ten sentences down, not doing the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, sounds to me like that must cover all of the precepts, <laughs> the trainings. We'll do that next week. Do you think this is going to be fun to do? I do. Don't lose the paper. I'll make you another one if you do. Yeah. Uh, Do we have more? Yes, we do. Anybody who needs a paper. Back there, there is some paper. Bring the paper for the next three weeks. The people who are listening on Dharma Seed can weigh in on this discussion. That would be so fun. You don't even have to write a story. If you're listening on Dharma Seed and you want to weigh in, send it to um, send it to um, uh, Front Desk Spirit Rock or whatever. Look, what what what's the email for Spirit Rock? Do you know? That's not the that's the website. It will give you an it will give you an email address. It'll go, the website will give you uh, the email address and weigh in because we'll do every. Let's rewrite it. That's what we'll do. We won't do. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Not the whole thing. Not the whole thing. But let's rewrite it. This is what will happen. This is the truth. This is, <laughs> this is really the truth. This is what will happen if to the. Wait a minute. What did you say? What did you say? Will be done. 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 By, by those who are skilled in goodness and know the path is of what peace. Is done. This is what is done. But then instead of let them be, they will be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Da, 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 da. I think that's a great idea. That's very inspirational. All right. May all of us be peaceful and happy because I have an appointment in Santa Rosa and need to leave. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.